I do think the generation of the 60s um, were really, that that's, it's, it was troubling. And it was, there was like the establishment and the rebels and the who really represented the rebels. And just the, I mean, can you imagine just the anger at the end of the show that you're just destroying your instruments? Uh, then that was cool. I mean, that, there's just, there's something there that's just not quite right. But I thought that that might be a good introduction to maybe the negative side of the generations passing. Because what I want us to talk about today is really the positive side. And as I shared last week, a passage out of Acts, uh, the first thing that really jumped out of that passage for me was how the generation of the heralds. The heralds are those that went out from Jerusalem to say there's a new king I mean, that's, real, that's really the message. There is a new king. And with that king, there's a new kingdom. And, it, and that, that message went generation to generation really fast. And that really jumps out of that paragraph. And so that's really where I want us to go today. And then I just kind of want to put that, this, that generational, intergenerational movement within us as a community of people. Well, the two generations I want to highlight are the generation of Apollos and Paul. And I want you to think for a moment that we have this gospel story, this good news story, this king and kingdom story. It starts with the first apostles. And as we've been reading uh, the story of uh, those apostles in Acts, we have seen there was this initial group. And then it quickly moved from that initial group to somebody named Barnabas. And then it moved from Barnabas to this guy named Paul. And then it moves from Paul to this guy named Timothy and to this guy named Priscilla, or this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And then it moves to Apollo. So we're moving through these generations quickly. Uh, and the key word, that just the word that keeps coming back, there's just this unencumbered flow from generation to generation of the story of the king and his kingdom. Now, the other thing was just last week I told you about Apollos. And Apollos... Uh, like Paul, Apollos, like Barnabas, Apollos, like all of the uh, initial disciples, apostles, he was a Jew. And he was a Jew that heard the announcement of John the Baptist, get ready, the Messiah is coming. And so he got ready. And so best he knew, he was a Jew who began to follow Jesus he was from Alexandria, which is northern Africa, Egypt. He was like a, a terrific speaker. Don't know, how that, don't know how that happened. He was just eloquent. And then he was also well-versed in the scripture. So he really was a student of the Old Testament, which he would have had to study the Old Testament in Aramaic and Hebrew. He, uh, he had this burning zeal. He also... Uh, was very teachable because when he shows up in Ephesus, he, he knows only part of the story. He knows the part of John the Baptist preparing humanity for the arrival of Jesus, but he doesn't know what, the after story. And so Priscilla and Aquila, when they hear him zealously, eloquently announcing in the synagogue in Ephesus that the king is about to arrive, they take him aside... They don't shame him. 
They don't embarrass him. They don't correct him in public. They just take him and say, you know, you are really a package deal. You, wow, you've got a gift of speech and you're really on fire and you are a great messenger. Now let us kind of tell you the rest of the story. Because here's the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And you need to know all of that. And he was willing to learn. He was teachable. And then quickly, after spending some time in Ephesus, and we don't know exactly how long, he wanted to go over to Corinth. That's where Priscilla and Aquila had come from. That's where Paul had left. Well, I want to go over there. And so again, very unencumbered, they say, okay. We'll write you a letter of reference, and off you'll go. And so over he goes to Corinth. And there he, he encourages the new believers that are there. I would guess it would have been a group in the hundreds. I don't know. Again, there's no statistics. But with, with his arrival, he kind of picks up right where Paul left off. Paul had to leave Corinth after a year and a half because, again, these hardliner Jews were, again, kind of, kind of moving in to shutting him, shutting him down. And they took him to court. And just Paul just knew, you know, i got to go. It's time for me to leave. But Apollos goes, and he can completely refute the Jewish arguments and just rebuttal after rebuttal with these hardliner Jews in public debate. And he was fearless in doing that. So I'm thinking... That the, he just disarmed that, that element and then, then maybe thousands of people ended up coming to know Jesus. So Jesus, the message there that I really wanted to share last week is, you know, Jesus knows exactly how many people are in a city. And, and in some ways, the more I've been thinking about that and praying about that, I'm thinking, Jesus, he wants everybody. And at the time, Corinth was a city of 100,000 to 700,000 And somehow Jesus is communicating to Paul, remember, encouraging him with the vision, the dream at night. You know, don't worry. You're going to stay here for a while. Keep it up. Nobody's going to harm you. Uh, Because you just don't know how many people belong to me in this city. And in some ways, I feel like Jesus is saying, everybody in the city belongs to me. I want everybody in the city to have the opportunity to hear my invitation. And I give that invitation through people like you, Paul and through a community of people that then rally around that message, and they too become the heralds. And then Apollos comes along. The two men had two very different styles of sharing the story of Jesus, delivering the good news. Uh, I have really enjoyed changing my lens uh, about Paul just based upon the words that are, that are used and uh, just kind of digging into of those concepts, Paul, I think, never recovered from the Damascus Road experience. I think that so shook his world. It so blasted him out of his, his, his worldview that I don't think he ever recovered. So I think the thing that Paul always started with, let me tell you about the encounter that I had on the road of Damascus with the risen Jesus. Let me tell you that story. Then after telling that story, I think he then, as a Pharisee, as a student, he said, now, I've gone back and I've, I've looked at the Bible, and I'm seeing things now that I never thought, that I, I just didn't ever see those things. So let's, let's kind of get together, let's read the scripture, and then let's, let's have a discussion. And through that, he was able to invite people 
uh, to come to follow Jesus, and people did. They responded to the story, to the conversation, to the discussion. Apollos, on the other hand, his, his style was different. I mean, it was public debate. It was fearless teaching. I mean, it was convincing proofs. I mean, man, bam! So two different styles, but behind that is Jesus. And Jesus is determined. He's determined that everybody in the city of Corinth hear his invitation to follow him. And he issues that invitation to at least these two and then others that are with them. So that brings us back to the passage. Let me remind you of where, we're, where we are and where all these thoughts are coming from. And then let's talk more about the generations, okay? Acts 18, 24 to 28. A man named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a Jew, born in Alexandria, Egypt, and a terrific speaker, eloquent and powerful in this preaching of the scriptures. He was well-educated in the way of the master and firing his enthusiasm. Apollos was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus up to a point, but he only went as far as the baptism of John. He preached with power in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they, they told him the rest of the story. And when Apollos decided to go on to Achaia province, his Ephesian friends gave their blessing and wrote a letter of recommendation for him, urging the disciples there to welcome him with open arms. And the welcome paid off. Apollos turned out to be a great help to those who had become believers through God's immense generosity. He was particularly effective in public debate with the Jews as he brought out proof after convincing proof from the scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, God's Messiah. So as we started this delivery of the message, there is a new king. And with that king, there is a kingdom that has arrived. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king. And with the king comes his kingdom. The kingdom of God has arrived. It is arriving and the fullness of that kingdom will come. That, that message is what got a hold of the first apostles, the first 12 that followed Jesus. They, they were the first heralds, the announcers. There is a new king. But then as we've read this story, as they share that message, then, then it just quickly travels into a, the next layer of people. Barnabas uh, is a Levitical priest who hears. And then he lays everything, he sells everything, and he begins doing the same thing, delivering the message of the king and his kingdom. And then he encourages Paul, who comes along with him. And then Paul sets out on missionary journeys. And on those missionary journeys, he's picking up others. Timothy, then Priscilla and Aquila, and then Apollos. All of that's happening. I want you to see the geography. I mean, to me, it's like, it's like wow. It's not only a bunch of people that begin to follow along with this announcement of the king and his kingdom, but look where they're from. It all starts, maybe it would have been better to put Galilee and Judea, but it all starts in the nation, the kingdom of Israel. And then it quickly goes from there to Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. 
And then Paul is from Tarsus, which is in Asia Minor at the time, would be today Turkey. And then you have this center in Antioch, Syria. And then Timothy is from Lystra in, in Asia Minor. And then we get over to Corinth, and you've got Priscilla and Aquila coming from Italy and meeting Paul in Corinth. And then you've got uh, Apollos coming from Alexandria, Egypt. I mean, to me, it's just like, wow, just that some, something's bringing all these people together from all around the Mediterranean basin for really one purpose, which is to tell their generation, to tell their cities that the Messiah has arrived and that with that Messiah, the kingdom has come. And that's being, for some reason, it's just, it's traveling so quickly from person to person, generation to generation, city to city, that that really makes me just stop in my tracks and think, that's our heritage. Two things. Jesus is the same as he looks upon the cities that we live in. I mean, Jesus is just as determined today for everybody in San Marcos, in New Braunfels, Canyon Lake, the cities. He's he's just as determined. He wants everybody to hear about Jesus, about the Messiah, and about the kingdom that is coming. I think he's just as determined. And he does that through you and me. He wants us to be the heralds. He wants us to deliver this message. And as we've talked over the last couple of weeks, if we don't do that, those of us that are a bit more sane, (laughs) those of us that are a bit more uh, intrigued with the relationship that we have with Jesus, those of us that understand what it means to be within a community of people, uh, living out the good... If, if, we're, if we're, I guess, those of us that are experiencing not the religion of Christianity, but the relationship with Jesus, you know, if we're not willing to herald the message, who's doing it for us? And it, it, it troubles me. I mean, I, it troubles me what people understand about Jesus, or what what people understand about church, or what people understand about Christianity. Because there is is a whole religious thing, and that's not what our experience is, is it? So I, I, I really believe Jesus really does. He's just as determined today. So how can we be that community of people like this community we're reading about, that kind of effortlessly and unencumbered, move out into our cities and talk to people about Jesus. And the result is that people believe and follow along with us. How does that happen? So here's our story. I, th- I think that, you know, some of you know this, some of you don't, but I'm, I'm seeing kind of the same sort of flow as I think about who we are. Uh, as just generations within this thing called the Vineyard Movement. Uh, the Vineyard had a founder. His name was John. And I've included Carol, John and Carol Wimber. And I should include, you should, under each of these is the name of a, a church, the Anaheim Vineyard. 
I'm, I'm putting lead, the leader's name. It's never just about the leader. I mean, do we all know that? It's not just, I mean, a, a leader or leaders have a role to play in a community, but it's not just about the leader. So John Wimber was not able to found the Vineyard Movement all by himself. He had a wife. <laughs> and she was very wonderful and supportive and uh, very instrumental in her own ways. But then there was also a whole leadership team and there was a whole congregation. I mean, there's, a lot, there's really thousands of people. So don't, don't, I'm not just highlighting a person. There's a whole bunch behind that name and that couple. But that, that couple, John and Carol Wimber, in the early 80s traveled to Kansas City. And there was a church there called the Kansas City Fellowship. And John did a... Uh, probably was a holiness conference. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I didn't get that much detail. But there was a little church in Dallas, Texas that was pastored by a guy named John Wallace. John and Suzanne Wallace. And John, John was a dentist. And one day walking home through uh, the East Dallas neighborhood called Tremont Avenue, he, he said to his wife, Suzanne, you know, Suzanne, if I, if I could do it all over again, I, think I, I th- really think that I would... Rather go to seminary, not dental school, and I'd really like to pastor. She said, well, what's keeping you from doing that? I said, well, I'm a dentist. She said, well, you can be a dentist during the day, and you can be a seminary student at night. And so he, he agreed to do that. And so he did that, and he became the pastor of this little firehouse church, met in a firehouse, called Redeemer's Fellowship. Now, what's really, really, really cool for me is that John went to the same seminary that I went to, Dallas Theological Seminary. And the people in that, that firehouse church were the people I worked for when I went to, through seminary. So Hal and June Hines were at Redeemer's Fellowship, a little firehouse church. And Sam and Jane Wofford. I mean, these were people that helped me when I was going through seminary. Well, John and a group of them traveled up to Kansas City, they, they listened and participated in a holiness conference and came home and said, you know, we want, to be in the, we want to be in the vineyard movement. And that was the beginning of the Dallas Vineyard. And the Dallas Vineyard is where Susan and I and family, we were invited to move from New Braunfels to come to Dallas and be a part of that vineyard, which we did. And at that time, there was also another couple there, Bob and Linda Attaway, who you, many of you know, just they have remained great friends of ours. And so from that Dallas Vineyard, generation to generation, first generation John to second generation John, to Bob and Linda who planted Vista Ridge Vineyard, to Susan and I who planted River City Vineyard, and all the people involved in that, generation to generation, step after step after step, really in a very unencumbered, very natural, very spirit-led way, planting churches telling the story of Jesus, announcing the king and his kingdom. And then today we're into the one, two, three, we're in the fourth generation because out of River City Vineyard, we now are encouraging John and Arlita Arelli at Mission Vineyard. And we have the opportunity to encourage Scott and Sarah Hatch in Austin. That's where Jonah is leading worship, coming out of our community. So you can see this generational flow that I think is very much exactly like what we're reading about and so I want to just stop and say, wow, this is really great. This is really something to celebrate. 
We're seeing generation after generation, people following Jesus, Jesus being the king, his kingdom being announced, and churches being planted. Now, I don't think that's going to go away. I think that's the sort of thing that will continue. Now, church, as we do church, that's probably going to change. And it probably should change. But the the basic, just the, the foundation of what church is, Jesus, the Messiah, his kingdom come and coming, that will never change. And we're getting, we're part of this flow. And so as I begin to think about how the vineyard movement through us then works its way out geographically, just like we looked at, this is what I begin to see and something that I begin to be kind of very excited about. The vineyard movement for us started in Anaheim, California. It traveled over to Kansas City, Missouri, to Dallas, Texas, and then it came to reside in New Braunfels, Texas. And right now, one, two, three, four, fourth generation, we are now at, we're just kind of at the threshold of being able to see a fifth generation launched. And this is the potential we have. Doesn't mean this is going to happen. But right now, within our little community, there is this potential of being the next generation. Generation to generation, unencumbered, the flow of the announcement, the king and his kingdom. And so right now, we're we're encouraging folks in San Antonio. We hope to see more churches planted in San Antonio. We're helping folks in Austin. We We hope to encourage more. And then we have folks that are in Houston. We've got folks in San Marcos, and we've got folks in Wimberley, and we've got folks here that want to go to Bolivia with the same same message. Jesus is the Messiah, the kingdom has come, and it's coming. We have folks that are, you know, maybe Spain may be in their, their future. And then we've got a question mark because we know that there's others that are being stirred up. Generation after generation, the message remains the same, but the people delivering the message go from generation to generation to generation. So for our community, what I really, really want to encourage, and this is like maybe a little bit more of a long-range encouragement. Number one, we have no idea how many in our cities belong to the Lord. And so... Our opportunity is what we've been talking about. Every day, we have the opportunity to say, empower us, Holy Spirit, to announce our king and his kingdom to the people in our city. And that, that's our primary task. And we get to just present who we know Jesus to be and present the invitation, come along with me. Uh, Let's follow Jesus together. We get to do that every day. So I really hope we take it to heart that the Holy Spirit really wants to empower us to do that. And then he'll work us through all the details. I I would kind of go down the path. I think um, he just wants us to have good conversation with people. It doesn't mean like we'll be able to answer all their questions. But we can bring Jesus into conversations. And then we can listen to what people think and what they say, and we can have a conversation about that. Uh, I think that's really fun to do. 
And so I just want to encourage us all, just on a daily basis, Holy Spirit, I know the Father is up to (laughs) drawing people today in our city. And, you know, would you just empower me to recognize when I run into that person you want me to stop and begin a conversation with? And we can just keep seeing what he does. But the other thing is I want us to begin blessing the generations that are in our community. Best, best that I can tell, and again, this is forecasting, I don't know, uh, but I, I would like to be around for 10 more years. But uh, before that 10 years is over, like within the next four to five years, I would like, to, I would like for us to recognize who the next leader is going to be. So I want us to anticipate that. I want us to be prayerful. I want us to celebrate. Hey, we're going to move from generation to generation to generation. So in like 10 years, I think there's probably going to be another assignment. I think this will probably still be home base for Susan and I. But we won't, we won't, be, the, we won't be senior leaders anymore. We'll be backseat whatever's. And I think beginning that... I really think this passage encourages us to begin that process and to really celebrate the generations that are here and keep mixing with each other. You know, in 10 years, how old will this group that was up here, how old will they be in 10 years? Oh, Lordy, Nate says, how old will they be? See, the, you know, that's the sad. You know what's really, 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 really sad? The average person that works in the church is in that church for a year and a half and then they move on. God willing and, and the Holy Spirit empowering, Susan and I are going to be able to serve in the same town for 40 years. That means that for some of you, you will see me age from young to old. And we will spend a lifetime following Jesus together. I think that is absolutely tremendous. And then, when it's my time to sit down, then I get to bless, not control, not try to keep things on the, on the way I want it to be, but I get to sit and bless what's going to happen next with the next generation. And I think that's a beautiful thing. The generation we started with, the who, man, they were angry. And they were not happy. <laughs> I think what, what, what needs to happen within the church is there has to be this generational shift where the older generation blesses the newer generation. And everything that God has given to the older is given to the new, and it just propels them on so that the new generation accomplishes much more than the passing generation. That's what we want to be. And that's what I think God wants to do. I think that's what his story is telling us through Acts. It's generation after generation after generation. All right, so let's, let's do this. Let's bless the generations. You want to? So we have a generation of uh, grandparents. So if you're a grandparent, would you stand up? Grandparent means grand, granddad or grandma. 
That's fair. That's fair. You can join us in this. Okay. All right. Would y'all just come over on this side of the room? We're trying. We want, we want those green. I'll give you some. I've got. I'm gonna. <laughs> If you're doing what? Straddling too. Straddling too? Yeah, Mike is the grandfather and the father of young Mike, we'll have you come here, and Dorothy, you'll go with the parents. Okay, the next, the next, if you're a, if you're a parent, right, if you have children right now, would you come join, kind of come over here? Yes. I think that means, if you're pregnant, that means you have a child. <laughs>